Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. I I got a couple of emails this past week from listeners uh, who had questions about voting um, in California and how that would help change the juvenile dependency court system. Well, there's two ways that that can happen. Number one, if you elect officials, state legislators, state senators, assemblymen, uh, who will vote for family-friendly laws to help change uh, the juvenile dependency court system, uh, that is one way that it can be done. One law that I'm aware of that uh, a group of reformers is pushing up north, which I'm in agreement with, is the ability to make it a law for the parent to have the ability to choose a jury trial. Right now, CPS cases are decided by just one person, a judge or a court commissioner or a court referee. Um, And there's no right by trial by jury in California for that at the current time. But that's one of the things that I think should be amended and the law should be changed. There are a couple of states in the union who allow um, juvenile dependency cases or CPS cases uh, to be trial by jury. Um, and I, But I only think it's a couple. Um, the majority of the states uh, want you to do this, uh, have your trial in front of a judge or a court commissioner or, or a referee. And um, I think the people should have a right to have a jury trial. The second way that that things can be changed is, uh, in California at least, judges are elected or appointed. And if they're appointed, they have to go through a re-election process every few years. I think it's five or six years here in California. So if there is a juvenile judge or a person that you are not happy with, you have the right to vote them out of the office. Attention to the superior court elections procedures that, you know, go on every November and June in California. Uh, There's judges running for re-election. There's judges running for election. And it's very important uh, that people register and exercise their vote so that they can vote out judges that they're not happy with uh, in the juvenile dependency system. Um, And, and, you know, there have been people that have been exercising, protesting against um, whom they consider uh, poor judges or not good judges up in San San Francisco recently. I think a group has um, forced politically by demonstrating uh, one judge to retire. Uh, that's what it looks like to me, but um, they've been exercising their vote and they've been exercising their voices and their First Amendment rights to protest. So please register to vote and use your vote.
right to the calls. Well, there's one other thing. Uh, some people asked me to make part of the show um, to talk about cases that my office or I am personally working on right now. And I, and I said that I would. So uh, I want to tell the listeners today about a case that I was working on. It, this has actually been a few weeks ago um, where my client uh, had uh, was in the process of having a, what they call a contested six-month uh, review date. And anytime I use the word contest or that is used, it's actually a trial. And I define a trial as where witnesses are put on the witness stand, where um, documents and other exhibits are introduced into evidence by all attorneys. And then the judge has to make a decision as to uh, who should win or lose that particular hearing. <coughs> Excuse me. In this particular hearing, my client was at a, I believe it was a, 12-month review date, and he was trying to get his children back or get more family reunification services. And in this particular case, the social worker was recommending that the children, the two children, not go back to the father. The mother wasn't in the picture at the time. And the reason was is because the social worker indicated that the father had not done all his family reunification services that were all that were ordered by the judge at the disposition hearing and in this particular case the court ordered that the uh, father complete a drug rehabilitation course that he do random drug testing that he do parenting and that he do individual counseling to address case issues and in this particular case the social worker did not believe that he had accomplished all of this. The father, of course, took a different stand. And at the beginning of the case, I got the feeling that everybody thought we were wasting uh, the court's time putting on this trial. But don't forget, the alternative was the man was going to, the case was going to be set for what was called a 366.26 hearing where the father could possibly lose all of his rights. So we were trying to stop that. So we actually put on a trial. We put on evidence. Uh, it went over, I think, two or three half days. But in the end, the judge ruled that the father should get more family reunification services. And one of the reasons why the judge opinion was the social worker didn't really give the state-mandated family reunification services to this father. The, there was some evidence that she was slow about getting the referrals to the father, um, that some of the places that she referred the father to were actually closed and out of business, and there were a couple of occasions where the father went to test, drug test randomly when his number or his color was called, and he wasn't on the list for testing, and they were trying to use that as a, as a mistest, which in Los Angeles County, in most counties, they, they consider mistest to be a dirty test. 
But anyway, after we put on the evidence um, of the judge, to everyone's surprise, uh, on the other side, uh, ordered more family reunification services to this gentleman. Now, one of the things that I've started um, doing uh, with my support staff is calling the the client every day to make sure that if there are any problems with the family reunification process, um, that uh, we assist and we be right there to assist right away. Any problem with his visitation, his testing, his counseling, his parenting classes. And we're staying on this kind of as an experiment in my office on a daily basis. Um, I'm in the, in the, the other thing I'm trying to do is I'm in the process of uh, trying to automate that and trying to uh, develop a software or an app where my clients can um, check in regularly with respect to what they sh- what they are doing and what they should be doing, kind of a, as an overseeing of them, uh, because if they do the case or do the plan the way they're supposed to, uh, it's w- it's less work for me and uh, it's better for them because they get that daily motivation. And so I'm thinking about putting that in some type of software. But anyway, that's my story for uh, the my case that I recently worked on. The moral of that story, by the way, is if somebody tells you don't have a trial, okay, generally that's bad advice. And that's based upon 30 years' experience as a trial lawyer. Always consider having a trial. You know, when somebody tells you, oh, the judge is going to get mad if you have a trial, that's BS in my opinion. And, you know, something happened on another case recently um, that I want to say. I was representing a mother, and the uh, court-appointed attorney was representing the father. And the court-appointed attorney told me, we're going to have a trial, but we're not going to put on any witnesses. We're just going to argue. I want to tell everyone right now, if you ever do something like that, you will always, 99.9% of the time, lose. Argument is not evidence. I'm going to repeat that. Your lawyer arguing a case is not evidence. You can only win the case with evidence. And when you argue a case and you don't put on any witnesses or present any evidence, the only evidence in the case is the social worker's reports. And if that's the only evidence, by definition under California law, the social worker is going to win. So be very suspicious if someone says, yeah, we're going to have a trial, we're going to argue it. Translate it, that means you're going to lose. So if you want to have a trial, you have to meet with your court-appointed attorney. You have to develop a strategy and develop and, and subpoena witnesses that need to be called into court to testify on your behalf. Okay, I'm going to get to the calls. I'm going to take the first call. is from area code three two three, ending in nine zero. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Yes. Good morning, Mr. Davis. I was calling because I have a question. If your case in dependency court, um, if say for instance DCFS 
does not want to file the case. And I believe they should have filed a case on the father. Is there a way that I can get dependency court to reopen that case so he can be tried? Okay. Your question was, is there a way that you can open a case? But then you said reopen. I didn't follow that. No, re I uh, reopened. The father was um, DCFS stated that he did child neglect. My daughter came home with a broken arm. I reported him to DCFS. It took them a while to open up the investigation and the case on him. And once they opened the case, um, they took him to dependency court in Monterey Park, and then they dropped the petition. And um, they say, stated in there that it's very stressful for the father and that um, the, the whole case was very stressful for him. They interviewed the kids. They didn't find anything to be wrong, even though they made this really huge report on him, and they dropped the petition. And I was just sitting there in awe because I could not believe they would actually do that based on the fact that he was crying, and I couldn't believe they actually believed him. Um, even the commissioner there, I think it was room 415, she couldn't believe what they were doing. She actually called the attorneys back in her chambers and, and had a, a, a talk with them. And they still stated that they wanted to drop the petition. This is DCFS lawyers. So I felt that he should have been, uh, you know, reprimanded for what he had did to my daughter. And I was wondering, is there a way that I can get them to reopen that case? Well, there is a way that it can be done, and it's interesting that you asked that question because we are working on a case uh, where we're trying to get this DCFS to file against a parent. The, in the Welfare and Institutions Code in California, what you have to do is you have to write a letter to the Department of Children and Family Services or your local CPS office case, and you're supposed to give them all the information and evidence that you have. Generally, that's done by exhibits and declarations under penalty of perjury. Then they make the decision whether they're going to file a case or not. If they decide that they are not going to file a case, you have a right to file uh, a judicial counsel form. I forget the number, um, but you have the right to file something with the court juvenile dependency court in your county and you have the right to ask the judge to review the allegations that you're making against the parent and then the judge can decide whether to file to have you file a petition against that parent uh, with or without uh, DCFS or CPSS their cooperation you're going to be then um, required to, and, you know, with your attorney required to prove those allegations against the uh, parent. And in that case, uh, DCFS or CPS will probably be working against you as well, that, as well as the parent, the other parent in the case. So the short answer, is there anything that you can do? Yes. Now, in my 30 years of law, practicing law, I may have only seen that work one time. So it's not something that's usually done. And I get the impression from a lot of uh, people in the juvenile system that 
they're not aware of that particular law in the Welfare and Institutions Code. Uh, and they don't, you know, a lot of people don't take seriously allegations that one parent is making over another parent uh, without the social worker support. Because, you know, there's so many people that use uh, DCFS and CPS cases to either rightfully or wrongfully change child custody. And a lot of people feel that if that's what you want to do, that the form, the judicial form you should go to is the family law court and, you know, fight these things out. And to be honest with you, if the department, you know, if CPS or DCFS isn't on your side, you may not want to file uh, to request a case to be done in the juvenile court because they're going to be against you. And then, of course, you know, eight times out of ten, they're going to wrangle in the minor's attorney, and the minor's attorney is going to be against you. And, of course, the other parent and his court-appointed lawyer will be against you. And, of course, there are the Welfare and Institutions Code laws that are used in the juvenile dependency system. In family court, the parent has to have their own attorney or represent themselves. So it may be easier for you to make this change in family law court because the father won't have a court-appointed attorney. There generally won't be a court-appointed attorney for the minor, although that could happen. And then, of course, uh, there won't be a social worker and there won't be a social worker's attorney working against you. And you'll be using the law's under the California Family Code, which in my opinion are more liberal. And you know, the only downside is you would have to get your own attorney to prosecute that kind of case in the family law court. Okay. I hope I've answered your question for you. The short answer being yes, yes but there are a lot of strategic things that you consider or that you yes, should sir. consider. Anyway, okay. I want to thank you for your call. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Have a good day. Okay, I'm going to take the next call from area code 209, ending in 7-3. <clears throat> good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? A story to tell. Go ahead. A story to tell? Um. Yeah. I became involved I became involved with um Child Protective Services September 9, 2009. Um my three children were inside of the office at Crowell Elementary in Turlock, California. My um ex-husband being accused of uh physically abusing my children. They were questioning my children for several hours inside of the office. I didn't even know that they were questioning my children. A neighbor child of mine stated to me that the police were at the school, so I got down to the school, and there was an officer blocking the door, and I asked the officer if my children were in there, if you would please move, and he told me no, he wouldn't move, and I asked him, am I being charged with anything, and he told me no, I wasn't, and I said, what's going on with my children, can I see my children, and he told me no, so I asked if I could have legal reputation there with my children, and um, he told me no. Um, so I got, I know my rights because of, you know, watch had a past child protective service case back in 2001. And I know that, um, I'm, I could request legal reputation and he denied me my legal constitutional right. So I screamed it and here comes an officer and the social worker out of the office stating for me to calm down. 
and stating that my children were being abused, being abused by my my husband. And if I would sign a stay away order for my children um, so that he wouldn't be allowed in the home. And I, they asked me if I was aware of this abuse and I told them, no, I wasn't. And they said, good, because the children even stated that I wasn't aware. So I signed a stay away order for my kids and everything. Well, when I returned home with my children, my son goes, mom, I didn't like it the way the officer made me take off all my clothes, even my, my chonies to take photos of me at the school. I go, what? Well, I'm, you know, I've worked in medical profession for quite some time. I know that's illegal with a hospital less than a block away from the school. So I contacted the social worker and stated why were new photos being taken of my children. And he said, he said he didn't have to answer my questions. So I contact instead of contacting legal reputation, I went to the school. I mean, went to the, you know, the news and media instead. And they came and removed my kids while I was at work without a, a warrant at my mother-in-law's home and with no date, no time, no judge's signature on it and removed all five of my children. Um, one of my children were young. They needed to be in the car seat and they didn't even have a car seat for my child and the officer let them drive away. Anyways, when um, I got word of them removing my children, I contacted the social worker and I said, what is the reasoning for you taking my children? He goes, well, the reason why we're removing your children is because the the father had to learn the behavior somewhere. Um, the father wasn't nowhere in the home with my mother-in-law at the time. Um, so they stated that the reason of taking my children is because they had to learn, he had to learn the behavior somewhere. So I went to attorneys to try to seek help, but I didn't have the funds to um, pay for this attorney. Anyways, um, the social workers, they basically buried me in paperwork, um, brought up my past, me being in a foster home every, uh, when I was a child, um, brought things up in court that I shouldn't be been a, held accountable for because that was my parents. Um, I got full sole legal custody of my children back in 2001. Um, there was no reasoning of them removing my children. I ensured my children's safety. Um, still to this day, they, um, have my children. Um, they, they basically slaughtered my name. They, they took my children. They still have my children. My kids are now, my daughter's 19. Um, she's cutting my son. My sons are, you know, in the foster care and in the group homes, um, using drugs. They keep prolonging. My case is still open. They're prolonging it just so they could turn 18. Um, they never ever had, even on the stands, they never even had an answer for the reasoning of them taking these photos of my children. My dad told me, just go through the paperwork and highlight what you see that are flaws. So I did. And in the police report, it stated that they took 12 photos of my children, but there was 15 cents to CPS. So I went to an attorney and I said, look, this, is, this right here shows that there's more photos taken. Um, but every attorney that I went to out here in Stanislaus County would tell me that they wouldn't go up against Stanislaus County because they stand for Stanislaus County. So I tried seeking outside help. Everybody wants retainers in the, in this process. Uh, my two babies were adopted out to the one that they stated that, um, he had to learn the behavior somewhere. My mother-in-law, my two children, the youngest ones, um, my three older ones were placed in 
different homes, foster care or group homes. They ran away just recently. My son, Joshua, he ran to me. Um, my other son ran to me too. Um, they state that if I have contact with my children when I've done no harm to my children, it's even stated this in court documents, that um, I would go to jail. My children are cutting, trying to commit suicide. I mean, just the unbelievable actions upon CPS and then dragging my kids through the system. They've torn my family apart, my children's spirits apart. I mean, I... I don't know where to turn. I don't know who could help. Um, even on stand during the most crucial parts of my case, they deny me legal my legal um, reputation to represent me. Tell my children were adopted out in a speedy trial. I mean, just the things that they've been able to do do is baffling to to me. Even in my um, appeal, my attorney said this would make any attorney's head jagged over. The things that they have done. I even had an attorney slip me a note from my boys' dad's attorney, slipping me a note that I needed to get outside help because what they were doing to me was wrong. But when you don't got money to represent anybody to represent you, it's hard. So my children are left spiritless inside of the system on drugs, put inside of juvenile halls. I mean, they've destroyed my home. I I just hope no other parent goes through the trauma that I've been through and that there is help and there is God out there that won't let this happen to any more children because it's wrong. And I thank you for allowing me to be on your show. No, thank you for calling and sharing that with us. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? I want to give you some information. Okay, let me get a pen. Hold on one second. Do you have the pen? Okay. Yes, I do. I'll give you a telephone number. I want you to call me uh, later on today at this number, okay? Okay. It's it's 888-888-6582. What was it? Triple eight. Okay, it's eight. Uh I got that. I'm gonna say the number for you, okay? Okay. Okay. Six five eight. Six five eight two. Six five eight two. So it's eight 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 two. Eight five. Five two. I mean five two. Eight two five two. Here, hold on one second. I can. All right, hold on one second. My phone was breaking up. Okay, what is it again? Okay. Give me a call at that number later on today. I might be able to help you with some things, okay? Thank you so much. Thank and you. Thank you for calling in. Thank <clears throat> Unfortunately, I hear that story many times. Uh, many times a week uh, about how CPS and DCFS has broken up families 
and part of the reasons why it's you know some type of retaliation. And there are things that people can do to fight back uh, using the uh, civil rights laws here in this country. Okay, I'm going to take the next call from area code 951, ending in 64. Hello? Good morning, you're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Good morning, Miss. Do you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Oh, I, well, honestly, I could say I have many stories to tell, and but I don't know which one would be more important. But yes, I do have a question to ask. Why are we the people first allowing this travesty to continue where CPS is able to get away with practically anything from under the sun that they could think of. It's wrong, very wrong. And then my question is, um, how do you fight them in court? If uh, you're a court-appointed attorney doing nothing to represent you and you don't, like the young lady that just spoke said, because she's poor. Like my brother, he has lost custody, all of his kids, all on some charges that haven't been proved in a court of law, like, you know, trumped-up charges, a lot of them. And then the his phone calls that he has, it's him and his wife, right, that him and his wife have with the children. The, the foster parent monitors it, and they can't even, uh, you know, talk about the case because, like, you know, they've been turned away from visits because they weren't late, but they were turned away for whatever reasons, right? And then the kids were told, oh, well, they were late. But if they try to say that, tell the kids, oh, we went to visit you, but we weren't allowed to see you, the foster parent, one of the things they do is end the, um, you know, the telephone call. There's been times, like you said, on in regards to the worker being slow, like my brother was told he had to do a him and his wife, they did a hair follicle test on the same day, right? They they had to go on a Sunday all the way to Paris, odd hours. Her test, like, came back clean, but his came back dirty. And first they also, like, it's just a, it goes on and on, like, the things they are doing. The, they want, they took the older, one of my nephews didn't sign the paper, though, to see a doctor, so I, I am so proud of him for not doing that, right? Because they were saying the kids need therapy. As their aunt, those are normal children. They tease their sister. They they were already recommending on the visits where the older two don't get to see the younger two because I guess uh, they pick on the the little sister. And they're trying to already. I guess uh, my niece told her mom that she heard the foster mother talking, because uh, to the social worker and saying that she wanted the mother's visit cut 20 minutes short because she was late trying to find the place on one of her first unmonitored visits and saying, and something about wanting to adopt my niece. And, and basically like their house has been raided twice. Nothing found everything by like, uh, like different count, like, uh, towns, but all in Riverside as far as I know. And a long time ago, hey, they who, uh, they who, whose house was raided. My brother and his wife's house. Honestly, I think somebody t- must have spotted those kids because uh, they're half Mexican, half white. And but my niece has blonde hair, blue eyes. She's in that age range of like nine. I, I think she was nine at the time. I'm not quite sure. 
And what happened was my sister-in-law was gone with her one son and, you know, getting him his haircut. And then just uh, the city of Paris, I believe, went up into the house. And the attachment to the warrant was missing. It was like a Hobbs warrant. And, yeah, it was all weird. So they don't. And then charges haven't been really actually filed, just left open-ended. And the social worker made a comment to the fact, like, oh, we still got three years. So, we're, like, it's just, and then just the day before they had another court uh, hearing for for the CPS or DHS, whatever it may be called, Marietta went to the house claiming to look for something. And, like, I feel like they're just being continually harassed. The work is all, has nothing nice to say about them in any of her court reports, and their lawyer don't speak for them and won't let them. And then, like, they were told they had to do these services. Like, I don't know what kind of counseling went. Like, hello, they weren't charged in court. Like, it's just a bunch of nonsense. And the lady told my sister-in-law, well, since CPS says you have to have this, I'm just going to put down you take pills. Is That's unethical. And that, like, if she's putting that down, doesn't that report go in front of a judge? Yes, it does. And that's like labeling her also, and because they're going along to get along because they want their kids. They're doing everything. They've done everything that CPS has asked them to do. You know, if your brother or sister-in-law wants to have a, a free consultation with me, tell them to call my office. I'd be happy to meet with them or speak to them on the phone. Thank you so much because, like, they – it is just – I mean, there's so much more to what they are being put through. It's just I'm kind of nervous, like, because, you know – they didn't want to say nothing, but I did adopt the slogan just because from the beginning, I took pictures of the cupboards. There was food, I mean, well-stocked. Like, <laughs> yeah, and the, but the, the, thank you so much. All right, and thank you for your call and sharing that story with us. Okay, thank you. Oh, it's, I've seen horror stories upon horror stories. I never believed in America that any institution could terrorize a person and just on a false are you accusation. Huh? Are you registered, registered to vote? vote? Are you registered? Yes, I am. Very good. Yes, I am. All right. I'm going to be getting a little have bit more you, vocal. Thank you, Mr. Davis. And have your relatives give me a call, okay? Okay, I will. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take another call from area code 661, ending in 91. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Hello. Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, yeah, I have a question, actually, Mr. Davis. Um, I have a case um, that's, that's on, well, it's been ongoing since um, July of 2015. And actually, I have a, a, my last court date this month. And um, I actually just found out by um, your office manager that um, I should have, I guess, um, got a 388 um, before the court date, I guess a month prior to. And um, because the girl, my, my two little girls are actually going to be adopted already. And um, 
and I didn't, I had no clue that this was like another, um, you know, like a, a hearing and until she, um, she told me. So I was, um, I was very upset yesterday when I found out, but I wanted to know if there was anything that I'd be able to do any like last minute things or anything, because I know it's already like three weeks, you know, before the court date, um, that I'd be able to like stop the process. I've actually um, done every single thing I was told to do and um, by the social workers, you know, and um, the, what was ordered and um, everything. It's, it just seems like um, nothing, nothing is working, you know, nothing has been working. Um, so I, I'm just really, really worried because, you know, I have, I have actually seven children. I'm living with three of my children right now. Um, and the other two, these are like my two that are not from, um, I have five from my marriage and then two, these two are after, uh, when my husband and I separated and, um, so I'm just really, really worried that I'm going to lose my, my, my little girls. Um, is there anything I can do? <laughs> yes, there's a lot you can do. There's a lot you can do. Let me ask you something. Are the, are the children that yeah. you live with right now, are they minors or adults? Um, the two of them are minors and one's an adult. Does the social worker know you live with two minor children? Yes. Yeah, she hasn't been okay, in, of well, course, I, any help. <laughs> right. So I don't understand how you could have two of your children and you're about to lose two of your children. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's you, what everybody thinks. <laughs> Monterey Park. Um, and who is your judge? You know Who's what? I judge? don't know the name of the judge. Um, I don't know her name. Um, I don't know. And I actually, I was trying to look that up, but I don't know. And I, my attorney doesn't even get back to me either. <clears throat> when I call, do you, have a, you know, I don't really get do anything. Do you have a court appointed? Do you have a court yes, appointed a attorney? court appointed attorney. So, I don't, not a whole lot. You know, I, you I, a, I call, nobody calls me back. <laughs> um, Okay. I you so know, here, let me, it, Do you have a pen? Yes, I do. I do have a pen. Okay, okay I'm going to write I'm going to okay. tell you some things that you should do. Okay? okay. And and starting Monday yes. morning, you you should you should get on this. Number okay. 1. Go down to your attorney's office and ask to meet with your attorney and or his supervisor. Okay. Number two, you have mm -hmm. to file a 388 petition to try to stop this process. You can't, okay. in my and opinion, you can't do that effectively. Hold on a second. You can't do that okay. effectively without your attorney. Okay, you will need an attorney okay. to do that. Okay. Third thing that you have to consider doing is having any relatives, no matter where they are in the world, or any mm -hmm. family friends, file mm -hmm. 
um, either 388s or de facto motions or both to have the children placed with them either permanently or temporarily. Okay. I, you know, I don't know the details of your case, but it seems to me that if you have two children living with you right now, that yes. you should have all of your children living with you right now. Yes. I'm I'm actually um living with um I'm I'm living with my my husband that I'm separated from with him and the children. It's been over a year that I've been living with them. Um I was um my case has been it's it's been ongoing for a lot longer than, you know, I guess than they usually do go for only because I was um I had um my bowel had ruptured like right the month after um, everything started and I was um, in a coma for a month and a half. And then, um, and I almost, I was very close to death. And um, then I, I was in a, in a nursing home, like right after I left the hospital. And that was a total of like 11, um, 11 months. So then it really didn't start, you know, where I could start doing what I needed to do until after that happened. And um, actually during this whole process, um, this last year in April, um, I, my 19 year old son also committed suicide. And um, it's been very, very difficult. I mean, when this first happened, um, I, you know, my mom had just died. And then I was homeless with my two little ones. Um, I was homeless. And um, I, I went to live with, you know, um, our, yeah, with my husband. And um, he, he, of course, he didn't want me in my car, you know, even though we were separated. And um, uh, right after I moved in there, I think uh, within, uh, within about three weeks, two to three weeks, my bowel had ruptured then and I almost died. And then after I'd barely gone out of the hospital and was trying to heal, and then this, you know, this all happened, and then it ruptured again. And um, so, so, so much has gone on, you know, and um, their whole thing, you know, I've done everything, like I said, that they asked me to do, um, and what they had put in this, um, you know, where they said, I'm uh, my depression, I'm my depression, and all these um things that like that I'm not capable of caring for my children, you know, and I have, like I said, seven, total of seven children. My oldest is 24 with two, two grandchildren. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very capable. I mean, I've raised, I've raised my kids, you know, so I think with everything that has gone on with me, I think I, I have, you know, of course I'm depressed. Um, so but yeah, I do. You know, I'm, I am with with um, children in which two are minors, and I'm not a very very good mother. I'm just, you know, financially, I can't I can't you you know really do much. But um, I don't. I just don't understand how they can say that I'm not um, I'm not fit to take care of these children. You know. Right. You know. Um... <clears throat> By the way, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to hear for your law, about your loss, about your your son. I lost a son last year uh, who would have been 25 yeah. years old. Um, you know, yeah. if you don't have any su- 
Success Monday, uh, you need to yeah. come see me at my office so that uh, maybe we can help you. Because uh, I don't see mm-hmm. you losing two children if you have children living with you. It just doesn't make sense, yeah. in my opinion. That's not, yeah. the, that's not the law, and that's not the spirit of the law in California. Yeah, I mean, so my thing is, like, know. I, you know, I thought we were supposed to be... Oh, I'm sorry, Parker. <laughs> All right. So I let me know what happens on Monday. I will. Let me know what, let me know what happens on Monday, and maybe you have to come by and talk to me on Monday or something, okay? Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Davis. Thank you have a great day. Thank you for your call. Okay. Thank you for your okay. call, ma'am. Bye-bye. I appreciate it. Okay. Um, I'm going to take another call right now from area code 909, ending in 61. Good morning. Good morning. You're on with attorney, you're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Yes, sir. And, um, my name is Elda. I have my um, now nine-year-old grandchild with me. My child was removed in 2014, uh, August 12, 2014. Um, when I went into the, their office, I was told that I had substantiated child abuse um, accusations against me, but not one of them, including the supervisors, wanted to investigate further. I never heard of the investi- of this, this uh, accusations because I've always had my children with me. Both my older daughters never left home, and also the, the grandchildren came along, and I, they never left home. When I questioned them, they told they sent a paper. A supervisor sent a paper to my home and said, "It's substantiated. Child cannot live with you. Period. There's no going around." Um, I hired a lawyer, and he tried to investigate the situation. There was no CACI report. There was no uh, paperwork from social workers in, um, investigating. There were no supervisors attending to the case. There were no court um, appointments set for me to recover my child. Nothing. It took three years. And the, the abuse and the, the neglect that my child received while in, on foster care, I kept um, telling the worker, please help me with this, and they kept sending the child further and further away. I, I live in, I live in um, one side of the town, and they send my child almost, almost 50, 60 miles away and to prevent me from getting her. Finally, they wanted to put her up for adoption, and I, the attorney fought it, and I wasn't even permitted to go into the, the courts because the attorney for my child and also the attorney for DCFS Literally, was, was, that lady literally shouted, get out of the courtroom. She has no business here. And I'm the maternal grandmother. I wrote to the governor to, to try to get him to understand there is no case against me. Why is my child gone from my home? They went as far as coming to my home. Um, the person who falsely accused me was a worker also. And that worker who came to my home listened, listened, literally listened to her say, I don't care. Yes, I remember you, and I don't care. I still don't care about you. And the worker told me, call her again, because the lady kept hanging up. 
ask her about her supervisor. So I called again and I told, do you remember your supervisor telling you there is no case and to stop, what are you doing? And she said, yeah, I remember at all. And I'm telling you, I don't care. And she hung up on me. The worker knew, they all knew that there was no case against me. And they still took my child. And because of that, my child was heavy medicated with medicines she didn't need. Because when my child left from birth to the age that she was, she had only one physician. And she had her physical before she went in August to the new school. And the physician was appalled. He said, what's going on? So when I was, was able to, to get into the court system and be, be represented, immediately the child was released from medicines, and, but the damages were done. The damages were done. And also to me, the damages were done. I, I suffered from stomach pain, diarrhea, nervousness. The damages were done. And if it wasn't for the law office of Mr. Vincent Davis and his helpers, his associates, my child would not be home today. They literally kidnapped my child from my home. They literally took a child who was healthy and they put her through the gutter. And I have to work very hard to keep my child healthy now. And if it wasn't for Mr. Vincent Davis, who, who is able to cut away layers and layers of unbelievable abuse. My child will not be home with me. That's what happened to me. Well, Elda, thank you for your call. I appreciate that call. Um, your case, you know, I keep, I keep hearing cases about social worker abuse and every time I hear a case, I, I, I think it's, you know, worse and worse. But your case is one of the top cases that have come to my office where the social worker has really gone out of their way to try to abuse you. And now that your child is back home and the case is over, um, we're going to be filing a lawsuit in the federal court um, for you and your child to uh, try to get some compensation for what they have done to you. Uh, it's really a sad story. I want to add something told. very important that the workers do is remove family members so the parent or the person in charge of the child, legally char in charge of the child, will not be able to get family support. The worker the worker decided that she was going to tell me when my partner was going to return home. My partner was not allowed to go home from August 2014 down to when I received my child in the courts. Um, but the problem is that I have, I have the RAP program that was standing behind me, and she said she literally was so angry that they kept telling her it's for the better of, emotional better of the child to have her papa, her, her, her stepfather, in the home. And they removed him. She said, I'm not ready. Although he, he was cleared, he worked for IHSS, so he was cleared. And that the workers were just so mean, so mean. Well, Aldo, I want to thank you for your call this morning and sharing with us. Uh, your Thank journey you. is not over. 
Unfortunately. Continue to assist uh, you and your child in your journey for justice in this in this case. I want to thank you again for calling this morning. Thank you. And any any person that's in these situations, Mr. Davis, and I'm not talking out of just words, facts, because I lived them. Your office goes beyond, beyond. There is not just paperwork and 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 um, retainers involved money. No, it's emotional, and you are a blessing to my family, and and absolutely rescued me and my daughter out of out of a sinking hole with these people. And I want to say thank you so much, sir. Well, thank you, Aldo. I appreciate those comments. And thank you for calling today. Good day, Mr. Davis. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll be in touch. You just heard a little bit about her story. Um, when her story comes out, it is, I think, going to cause many, many people in the public eye um, to raise their eyebrows and wondering what DCFS is doing in certain cases. Now, I'm going to say this. I, all social workers are not bad, but there are too many social workers who are abusing families and abusing people who work in the system, and we have to make a change. We have to hold these people accountable. One of the last social workers who worked on this previous case um, was basically terrorizing this woman emotionally and psychologically. And the last straw was the case was actually closed a week or two ago, closed out, and we at that hearing confirmed with the judge that there would be no further uh, social worker involvement. Judge agreed, no more social worker involvement. The social worker's attorney was there. One of the social worker's co-workers, which they call the court officer, was there, uh, who inputs uh, presumably everything that's said in the court into a statewide and, or countywide system, computer system, uh, all the court orders. And that, those, that information is transmitted, presumably, to the social worker in the field. Well, less than a week later, the social worker texts this woman and tells this woman, I'm going to be out to your home today at 4.30 to visit with you and the child. Now, remember, the case is closed. The judge has even told my client, no more social worker involvement. But here it is, this lady is texting my client saying, I'm coming out to see you. Be ready. Not, hey, can I come out and see you at 4.30? No, the text read, I will be there at 4.30. So the client called me or texted me and said, you know, why is she coming out to uh, see me and the child? And the only thing that I could think of was it was continued harassment. So I decided to call the social worker's attorney from that uh, from her office. Every in the way LA County is set up, every DCFS office has one or two what they call in-stationed county counsel. 
these are people who are there to advise the county council on, excuse me, to advise the social workers on what to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So I called the uh, in-station county council at the, I think it was the Glendora office in LA County. I told her the situation. She tried to make some rational excuses. And I told her, you know, basically, look, we're going to be suing this lady and the county. I suggest you talk to your worker and, you know, squash this appointment. And, um, you know, she was very professional uh, about the situation. And she said she'd get back to me. And I think she called me back once or twice. And she finally said, you know, um, my work will not be contacting your client any further. And, you know, I said, thank you. But the damage is done. I mean, you know, you have this social worker who's been terrorizing you all of, for months, you know, every which way you turn. And now here the case is over. Jurisdiction has been terminated officially. The judges said you will have no more further contact from the social worker. And the social worker calls, you know, less than a week later and says, or texts, I'm going to be at your house at 430. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable when this story comes out. It's almost going to be too outrageous to believe what they have done. Um, oh, and there's one other thing. After the after the county council social worker, you can't go out there anymore. The social worker called my client, called this lady that was just on the radio, to taunt her verbally. And she called from her own cell phone, her own personal cell phone, to do that. And this is after the county council told me, oh, your social, my social worker won't have any further contact with your client. So, you know, there, you know, there are good social workers, but there are a lot of social workers that need to be retrained or that just shouldn't be doing the job they're doing. Close of the show. I want to thank everybody for calling in today. I want to thank everybody for listening. And um, next week, we're going to have a great show. I plan on having a surprise guest on the show. Um, I won't announce the person's name because they haven't uh, confirmed with their schedule that they will be able to be on the show next week. But hopefully, we'll have a surprise guest who will be giving out a lot of valuable information regarding CPS, DCFS, and these cases, and what can be done if you lose in court at the appellate level. Just because the judge tells you to a higher court. Okay, everyone have a great day, and we'll see you next week on the radio.